Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Serious XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to it, everybody. October 21st, the Saban Theater in Los Angeles. Yes, I'm promoting it. Come on down. It's going to be a party with Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks and Frangela and me and some very special guests. The Sexy Liberal Show. The only one of 2023. Live on stage in Beverly Hills. Welcome to Progress After Dark. We have a great show planned for you tonight with great producers making it happen. Chris Hauselt runs this beast from the studios in South Carolina. Thea Harper somehow keeps the train on the track night after night from the Brooklyn studios. I come to you from Manhattan. What a day. Are y'all okay? Do you need a minute? It's it's a lot to absorb, I know. This is a day when nothing happens, and it seems like everything's happening. The right wing's Hunter Biden scandal completely crashes and burns. Trump began the day with very scared lawyers, and then he had an extremely bad day legally. This heat wave is ramping up from Florida all the way to California. It is going to break records all across the country, and it is going to threaten public health everywhere. 96 million people are under heat alerts. The hottest temperatures are coming for the Southwest. Please be careful. Please have water. Please make a plan. Please check on old people. Please check on animals. And in Georgia, a grand jury is now tasked with deliberating charges in Donald Trump's 2020 election interference allegations. Uh, It's been impaneled. It's going to be a RICO trial. And for the next three hours, we're going to be taking your calls on everything and then some at 866-997-4748. That is 866-997-GRIT. Let's let's tell you, we got a good one tonight. Um, Really, really great show coming up this evening, and I'm so glad you're here for it. The Rude Pundit will be here slapping fascists all over the place. Natalia Reagan joins us as well with Shit You Can't Say. Very happy to have her on as well. And of course, as always, our most important guest is you guys. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Are we ready? Are we all set? Let's do a show. I want to play this really quickly. Today was the NATO summit in Lithuania, where Zelensky showed up. And once again, they said, yeah, we, we can't let you join till the war is over because we're not going to be at war with Russia. Here's Joe Biden earlier praising NATO leadership and the recent additions to the organization. Press is not at all surprised that I've been uh, touting the fact that I think it's really important at this critical moment in the the whole 
NATO issue, but that you continue to lead NATO. You're trusted. No one knows the situation that we're facing better than you do. And this historic moment, the, the adding of Finland and Sweden to, uh, to NATO is consequential. And uh, your leadership really matters. And, uh, the, and we agree on the language that, uh, that uh, we proposed, that you proposed, uh, relative to the future of uh, Ukraine being able to join NATO. Uh, and uh, we're looking for a continued United NATO. They've heard me say, my American president heard me say many times, I still think that, uh, that President Putin thinks the way he succeeds is to break NATO. Not going to do that, especially with you, this is NATO. So thank you for willing to do it. I agree with him. And remember, the only warmonger here is still Vladimir Putin. Don't trust anybody you talk to online or anyone in the media who has a hard time admitting that this is Vladimir Putin's war of choice. Don't let him blame Americans. <laughs> the same people who wanted to blame Americans for the terrorist attack in Benghazi, a lot of them are now trying to blame Joe Biden and NATO for the Putin attack on Ukraine. Let's go back to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748. Let me go to Rob in Indiana. It's Rich. I'm sorry, Rich. Rich in Indiana. Indiana. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hi. No worries. Um, when the thing started, um, I was uh, reminded, as you were describing the rise to power of uh, Senator Uber Tuber, Please. that um, Max Cleland was destroyed in a similar fashion uh, yep. and displaced by Newt Gingrich's accusations of uh, Max being soft on terror. And I don't know well, if let, anybody no, let's remembers not forget, what... it's, it's, it's actually our, it's, uh, it's our good friend, um, um, uh, you know, Rick from, from, uh, from Lincoln Project. Oh, yeah, from ads. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, thank you. I, Rick, I've Wilson, his, Rick Wilson is... Rick Wilson is the reason why uh, those ads were made, so we can't forget that. And he's been on the show. He's well, great, but got to remember. And, you know, Cheney uh, had uh, a part in it. Uh, as, as Gingrich was uh, going on that, Cheney was busy saying 9-11, Saddam Hussein. And yeah. so the point being that you can string a whole bunch of shit together and throw it, and a bunch of it's going to stick. Yeah. And people are going to go, oh, yeah, I, I think that's, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> And uh, so that being said, we've got the wicked leading the gullible. And um, when they say Christian military democracy, it's like, well, God damn it. Yes, I. Oh, excuse me. Yes, I am. And uh, so as all of this is like percolating along, I'm thinking about how we've got these these evildoers, Mike Pompeo, uh, Michael Flynn, uh, Viceroy, VC collaboration, hysteric prince, uh, <laughs> titled Blackwater. I don't know what Blackwater's called now. It's something else. But that motherfucker is in the shadows, and he's dangerous as fuck. Yeah, he and, is. That, um, that's that's someone who has so walked between I, the raindrops a long time. That guy. Oh that guy. Boy. Like like what? every he's he's the bad guy in every Stephen Seagal or Stallone film. Is there? Yes. But go on. So well said. I oh, that's good imagery. Yeah. People write that down and hang on to it. <laughs> what I want to get to here is that we've got this danger going on in Albany, and if. If the Democratic Party of New York is not on its absolute A game and a Republican governor gets into Albany, all shit is going to break loose because Trump land is going to metastasize straight out of New York through our national intelligence apparatus, 
all across the United States because we're going to have a Republican governor that's going to say, well, I don't think it's a good use of state funds to further proceed in any of these things against the former president. So that's over with. And then yeah. Donald Trump will be emperor of New York. That's all right. right. So as this goes on, I want you to understand that we've got a, uh, a telescreen for our future. Israel is a lap ahead of us with their authoritarian, authoritarian? <laughs> authoritarian despot leadership because Bibi was able to get back in to get rid of his um, his lawsuits. Right. No, I know. And so as, as he uh, created his uh, power block to create a functional government, he had to use the right wing, and that right wing is going just as nuts as the bad guys did it's true uh, but you got to remember also geez. though israel's way ahead of us in terms of authoritarian right-wing guys but israel's also way ahead of us on many progressive areas as well they were ahead of us on women in the military abortions are free there uh they were way ahead of us on on health care i mean you you get single payer you get to choose your own package there's many ways lgbt people serving in the military israel's been ahead of us in many areas too but yeah netanyahu is a bad guy and that's why we always have to say you can criticize the head of state doesn't mean you the people i love russians i love iranians i don't always like who they have leading them thank you so much for the call really appreciate it rich don't be a stranger we got to take a quick break we'll be right back this is progress that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying Dave in Washington State, thank you so much. Yeah, hey, John. We are getting to this weird spot where it is almost impossible to tell. Here's why. Like, what I noticed right away, or what I thought of right away, is this statistic I heard that two-thirds of a trillion dollars of student debt is owned 
or owed whatever by African American women. Now, mm. when I first heard, heard that, I was like, wait a minute, they don't even represent that much of the population. How could that be? But when you really stop to think about it, it is probably an accurate statistic because, look, they don't have access to a lot of other vehicles to get to college. Money vehicles, I mean. About the only money vehicle they have uh, systemically have access to is loans. Yeah, and, exactly. But they go in... So you mean it's almost like it's predatory against low-income Americans? Yeah, seems that way. Well, African-American men, as an example, have a lot of times have access to more athletic scholarships. But anyways, without... Well, yeah, yeah. Without getting into all that, let me connect it to Tuberville. And then I was thinking... uh, All right, um, look. African-Americans are overrepresented overrepresented in the military. All right? What is Tuberville doing? He's slowing down military, uh, uh, well, the functions of promotions and everything, right? Okay. And, and the thing is, is um, and he also mentioned, I noticed he also highlighted Christianity. Now, this is, if you take a moderate Republican, right, and you put him with a, 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 a two white Republicans, right? One <laughs> okay. says he is a, one says he is a white nationalist. Okay. Right? The other, the the moderate Republican might say he might say, "Wait a minute, isn't that a racist?" And of course, the white nationalist Republican or conservative, no, that's just what Democrats say, just like Tuberville, right? But right. then the the, the moderate Republican is going to ask, "Well, are you a Christian?" If that if the white nationalist Republican says, "Yes, of course I'm a Christian," then that's it. There is no more accusations or consideration of racism. This is the cult of Trump. It is taking over, in a way, Christianity. And, and oh, it was, no, 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 I'm sorry. Christianity was taken over long before Donald Trump. Donald Trump says here to well, be Satan wagging his dick at baby Jesus. That's all. Watergate, Iran-Contra, the Iraq War. No, I'm sorry. They, they, they gave up any pretense of spirituality a long time ago. You know this. Well, yeah, but but let me compare it to Mullah Omar real quick. Mullah really? Omar, I gotta get, go ahead. See, go ahead. Okay. Well, when, when he seized power, it was all too late. There were all kind of moderate Muslims in Afghanistan that didn't like it. But the thing is, is he donned the cloak of Muhammad, and and the bottom line is, they decided to compromise. They said, look, uh, maybe a miracle will happen, <laughs> and he won't be that bad. We are on that same precipice with Trump. Trump is an instrument of God to them. I know. So so basically, all this is coming together. All this is coming together, the leaderless resistance model. Thanks for your time. Have a good Thank you, man. You're a prince. I appreciate it. But I got to go to the political blogger known as the Rude Pundit. Lee Papa has tens of thousands of weekly listeners. He's a regular guest on the Stephanie Miller Show. He was called by the New York Times the child of Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, and Hunter S. Thompson. You can support him uh, under the Patreon, under the username Rude Pundit. My God, in the middle of summer, I am so glad to welcome the Rude Pundit back to SiriusXM. Welcome, Hi. sir. Hi. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, listen, I'm still I'm still reeling from my Tommy Tuberville. I, I don't know. I, I think, by the way, our, our caller just had a really good point. I don't know how much of this is genuine racism and how much of this is Tommy playing coy and playing dumb, pretending he doesn't know what words mean. It sort of seems like you can push any sort of racist smear and advance white nationalism talking points all day long as long as you remember to come out and say, I'm against racism. Right, right. Yeah. I, but But, you know... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're a white nationalist, I'm okay with you as long as you're not racist. It's yeah. a pretty fucking lame uh, sort of hill to die on there. Um, <laughs> you you had a point in the t- you had a tweet saying words have meaning. White nationalist is someone who wants a white nation. That's the meaning. There's no fucking opinion here. Right, right. And I love that I had somebody somebody tweet back at me. Well, what do you mean? People talk about black nationalism. Is it, Are they saying that they want a, a nation of, of uh, just black people? And I, and I just said, you should probably Google. Google's your friend right now because you really should probably look this up. Um, they, they haven't bothered to look up the word communism yet. And we've had the Internet for 30 years. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. No, no, no. The socialist, communist, fascist, uh, you know, radical left wing, whatever. But your supply, your your replies got kind of crazy after you called out Tommy. Tuberville. Oh, yeah. And yeah. The I, lunatics I, came out for this one. The lunatics came out, including the guy who said who who ins- insisted that you could be you could want to have separate nations by race but not be racist of course you can have segregation without racism oh well they'd be separate but they'd be totally what's that word separate but uh, uh, yeah yeah. uh, maybe equal i don't know that's a good way write that down lee i like that yeah 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 it's separate but equal yeah and you know i just and i started to play it out in my head all right so let's just say let's just say for for shits and giggles we're gonna uh we're gonna we're, we're gonna you know say all right the united states is i guess for white people i don't know and even if you're even if you're and then i thought well okay but are you going to divide or are you going to divide it? Are you going to say all the black people in the South, all the white people in the North? What are you going to do with all the industries? And then I thought, well, what if you send what if you say, well, we're going to send all the black people back to Africa, which is really dumb because, you know, Africa, big, lots of different kinds of kinds of people in Africa. But let's just say we're going to send them to, you know, countries that do have a uh, a, a black population. And then I thought, well, OK, are we going to give them back all the mines? Are we going to give them back all of the industry that's there? How does mm-hmm. this fucking even work? And then the person came back, came up with just the most extraordinary thing, which was that the destruction of uh, Black Wall Street in uh, in Tulsa, yeah. And yeah. I, that it had nothing to do with racism. It had to do with integration. Of course. And again, because they say these things just for the bubble. Half of these, I mean, half of these talking points aren't to advance any kind of political opinion. They are content providers for Fox News and Newsmax. That's all this stuff is. Say it here. They'll broadcast it tonight. It'll be forgotten tomorrow. We'll deny we said it next week. Well, I think Tuberville is stupid, though. I mean, I think he's like a legitimately stupid person. And I, and, and, and I don't and, I, and I'm not I'm not using that in a coy way. I think that he uh, he doesn't really understand any of this stuff. Oh, I think you're right. But again, if you listen to the comments, he, he's very he's been taught to say how much he hates racism and oh, yeah. he coached. He coached athletes. So he's guaranteed not going to be racist. And he's saying this in the context of defending white nationalism. You know, I I said earlier, this is a guy who is famous because of the black bodies that got injured on the field for him. Mm -hmm. And he has taken the capital earned to his name by the labors of those young athletes to defend white nationalism and then play dumb about it the very next day. I mean, you know this, the denial of racism in 2023 is the new racism claiming it doesn't exist. 
Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, and they have the Supreme court behind them it's, it's yeah. to say, you know, Hey, racism doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, this is, it, it's so it's the, 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 the blinders you have to put on and, but, but it's also the willing blinders that they put on and all of those other Republican senators who came out and said, well, no, you know, white nationalism is, you know, we, we don't, we don't allow, you know, we don't want racism in the Republican party. No whites. I think Mitch McConnell said no white supremacists. Mitch and, McConnell said, but Mitch McConnell did not denounce white nationalism. He, right. Again, right. they can't do right. it. They just can't do it. These guys, they, they know no, the be- words, Lee, at this point, and they know the words. But like Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're counting on their audience not knowing the words. And it's right. just a game they play. Right. And they because and they want they want nationalism associated with patriotism. That's what they want. They want yep. those two concepts to line up and be and and just be analogous in their heads so that if you say that there's something wrong with nationalism, well, then you must hate the United States when, you know, uh, what they're really saying is you hate the white, uh, the idea of a white national, a white United States. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I have to I have to disagree with you on something, Mr. Papa. Yeah. And, and it's folks listening. It's it grieves me to take issue on any points with the root pundit because I admire his work. But you have said that Tommy Tuberville has the voice of someone who blows goats. I disagree. Uh, yeah. I think he has the voice of the most pious Hooters manager that's ever exist. He, ha- he, ha- uh, he has the voice of an evangelist who works in the daytime as a Hooters manager. That's, the, I think, much more accurate. I, we're, we're, I like that. I just why, wanted... why do you think someone who blows goats? Someone who blows, it's because, because you see, you think, you hear a Southern voice and you, you sometimes you hear this voice and you think, oh yeah, that's a guy that fucks goats. But I, I wanted to take it a little different. I, I, I think that, I think that instead he derives his own pleasure by actually blowing goats and swallowing goat jizz. And so that's where I think the phlegmatic. I, I'm writing all this down. Hang on. Yeah. The, the phlegmatic aspect of his voice comes okay. from. That's the depth. The red depth and resonance comes from the goat semen that he is. Just... Well, now that you flesh it out academically, I can sort of see, uh, you know, analytically where you're going at with that. So I, I think you persuaded me a bit. But um, and, and congratulations on the imagery. If I was going to well, compare it. Well, when I when I think about like, you know, white men who make me embarrassed of Southern accents. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because that's half my yeah. family. And growing up, they were always people. They were usually clergy or politicians who made me embarrassed of white men with Southern accents. And and so how do you compare uh, Tuberville to, say, Senator John Kennedy, who to me sounds like a guy who went to Oxford, but now deliberately sounds like a man who steals chickens? I, yeah. I think John Kennedy has this affectation, this this Ivy League anonymous, where he can't ever let on how educated he is, so he has to talk like a man who steals chickens. You, you think Tommy Tuberville's the real deal? He's just that. Oh dumb. no, I think he's yeah, no, I think he's legit fucking stupid. Um, but yeah, you're right about Kennedy. I you know, I call him Huckleberry Chucklefuck. There you and, go. And and uh, because he's you are you're you're absolutely right. And and, and so many of these uh, of these elite educated Republicans just try to put on these airs of being, you know, uh, you know, of the people. DeSantis railing about elitism. Fuck you, man. Where did you go to school? Right. You know, you know, but these are the people who gave us this is George W. Bush party. He went to Andover, Harvard and Yale and couldn't speak in a coherent sentence. I mean, this yeah. is it's beautiful. Well, it's it, of course, proves that the legacy admissions process is it's just a total joke. And let's thank the Supreme Court for protecting affirmative action for mediocre white men. Let, let's thank That's them. It. 
you 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 had some comments about the controversy over cluster munitions, which I really appreciate. We just had Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs on the other night, and mm-hmm. I really think that people on the left are capable of walking and chewing gum mentally at the same time on this one. Obviously, we support what the Biden administration is doing in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. There's only one aggressor. There's only one warmonger here. It's Vladimir Putin. He's the one bad guy. But I, I've admired this debate because it's great to see liberals be able to come out and say, no, no, we're not in a cult. We think Biden's wrong on the cluster bomb part. And yeah. not all liberals are. As you know, a lot of liberals are saying if you don't support the cluster bombs, you support Putin running right. more violence on the, on the country. What's your take? Well, I, I mean, you know, and again, I, I, I like last week, you know, uh, Chris asked me, you know, what do I want to what do I want to talk about? And I said, not the not, not Russia or the war in Ukraine, because I don't want to pretend like I have expertise in anything. However, However. the fact that the, the cluster uh, cluster bombs, you know, goes, you know, that goes back to what was left behind in the Vietnam War. The the number of uh, munitions that were left behind mm-hmm. and uh, and the, the number of people that that they killed after the war was over. That's it. Um, and so and so they were banned and, you know, by uh, 111 countries, I think it's up to signed on to a ban, including, you know, most Western countries. Now, Ukraine did not sign on to it. The United States did not sign on to it. So they're not violating any agreements by doing it. However, it is one of those things that uh, th- that the, the rest, most of the rest of the world has condemned and for good reason. And, yeah. you know, I get, you know, I know Russia is using them. I yes. get that. I, and, and, and again, I get I get the argument that Russia is using them to take over this country. I get the mm-hmm. argument that the Ukraine is using it to defend itself from the imperialists. But you already said it, Lee. For me, the argument is the strongest argument is these things are unreliable historically. Mm-hmm. And there are so many accounts and so many societies in different continents of these munitions because it's a bomb that blows up in the air and sends little tiny mini bombs all mm-hmm. over the ground for a football field size radius. And some of these bombs don't get found and a child steps on them a farmer mm-hmm. plows over them a refugee mm-hmm. finally returning home steps on them and we see the violence continue often years after the the war ends right and and i know that you know the the number that's been thrown around is that you know the 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 number of duds you know the the, the ones that seem inactive on yes. russia's side is up to 40% of them yes. but the only 1% of, of ours but no, two point five percent. However, some analysts have said it's as high as fourteen percent. Um, so you know that's a statistic I read earlier. Is that that yes, the the number that the U.S. the U.S. military is putting out is saying it's two point eight five percent or something like that. But the num but the actual number may be as high as fourteen percent. Either way. It it just seems like with all the weapons we have at our disposal, there you know with the with the with the dr- I know that there's a reason to use it for when they get bunkered down and these things can blow in there and you know do damage in ways that, but I don't see how that's any different than how, how that's better than using drones. Again, I don't know the answer to that. I okay. just know that I trust there the, that people I trust are uh are opposed to this and the results that we saw coming after the vietnam war um are so horrific that i think 
you know, that that it's just the same progressive thing to believe is that this is something we should be doing. I agree. Uh, by the way, we are talking to Lee Papa, a.k.a. the Rude Pundit. And our number here at Progress is 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. I, I wanted to can talk I, can to I just about... Add, can- yeah, Can I just add one ahead. thing to that? I just yeah. add one thing. The, you know, I had a, I had some people pile on when I put this. You know, as as happens, as, yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure it happens to you on Twitter. Wait, on, on people pile on on Twitter, really? I, wow, I know um, about you know. Well, because I was like, I'm confused how liberals can actually believe this. You know, and I, I it's the same thing. Like when liberals were upset that a uh, supposed liberals were upset that a school shooter didn't get the death penalty. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! We don't believe in the death penalty that's like one of our basic tenets here in liberalism and i just wanted to say that i was i i was i'm not trying to thread a needle here i'm not saying democrats need to believe this i'm saying if you call yourself a liberal a leftist oh i agree there are things you should believe democratic huge the governor of louisiana the death penalty issue i could talk about this one all day because yeah plenty of democrats still support it just like plenty of christians still support it even though unlike abortion it's something jesus actually went on the record opposing yeah yeah and so so i'm just there's i i just am saying that the democratic tent is huge we have you know the democrat i'm glad there's a democratic governor in louisiana i'm glad that john bell edwards is there um for many things but he is savagely anti-choice when it comes to abortion that's right um but it, but I would rather have the savagely anti-choice Democrat there than the savagely anti-choice Republican, because John Bell Edwards has also vetoed, uh, you know, bills that tried to end gender affirming care for young people. You want to take some calls, Lee? Sure. You know, I love Let's your callers. Go to our evil army of the night. Evil army of the night. Please make your comments, jokes or threats as succinct as possible. Hello to Ron in California. You're on with the Root Pundit. Hey, uh, John, thanks for taking my call. I just hey. wanted to uh, tell Lee that I greatly admire his work. And, uh, Lee, this is uh, Zippy's Ron. Ron, holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just real quick, John, I, I uh, reached out to Lee several years ago on that toxic Twitter. I sent him a direct message. There was a hurricane coming to uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And I just wished his friends and family well. He immediately responded. So we struck up an email friendship. And we Uh-oh. still have several years later. So I just wanted to uh, say that uh, I greatly appreciate him, and it's nice to speak to you, Lee. Oh, Ron, nice. it's great. It, it, I can, do you mind if I just if I? Yeah, please. I mean, it's so great to hear you, Ron. I mean, and and I love you know, Ron and I have been emailing for a couple of years now. He he had this adorable Chihuahua uh, Zippy who passed away, and now he's got another adorable Chihuahua Archie. Um, are you wow. st- you're still are you still driving? Are you still driving uh, the truck? I just Ron? I just got I just got home, Lee, and I'll take off tomorrow morning. Still driving for FedEx and. Uh, wow. We were talking weather the other day, 117 here on Sunday. Week. Oh, shit. And wow. you live like near Sacramento, right? Is that? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm north of Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we were also I was. Yeah. So it's just awesome to hear from me because, you know, I uh, I adore Ron. He's 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 terrific. <laughs> Um, you did your homework yeah. before the call. Yeah, your prayer. Yeah, your prayer. So, so it's it's great to hear your voice, Ron. Uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Ron, thank okay, you so right, much for Lee, calling. We'll, okay, we'll chit chat. Thanks, John. We'll chit chat later. Bye bye. Thanks, man. Uh, so, Lee, have you moved over to, to Throns or th- uh, what is it? The new the new. Yeah, Thrawn? yeah, yeah I love it. Um, yeah. 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 You know, I, I, as has billion as evil billionaire number one forced you to love evil billionaire number two yet, Lee? <laughs> Facebook threats. 
The Facebook threats. Facebook that's threats. it. Yes. Yeah. The Facebook yes. threat that in six months, it's all going to be Zuckerberg taking advertising money from Donald Trump and ruining this site like the last one. I know. You know, I just I, I just I don't like threads. I know people are really getting into threads. I just mm. find it. I don't I don't like the algorithm telling me what I should be even even as I even as I improve the algorithm as I go along. It's still like all of a sudden just starts throwing a bunch of shit at me like, oh, maybe you like this. Oh, you looked at one movie movie thread. Now let's just throw every celebrity thing at you. Um, I don't like it not being uh, chronological. I don't like it. You know, it's just there's so much in it. And people are like, oh, but it's nice. You know, the Nazis aren't there yet and they'll be there. (laughs) the Nazis always show up Nazis always show up you can be Harrison Ford and 80 years old Nazis will come back that's what I learned this summer yeah yeah I haven't seen it yet no spoilers Um, all right I've gone twice what there's Nazis in it god damn it indeed all I'll tell you is there are Nazis in it and every time Indiana Jones punches one of them the Nazis call him woke. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll tell you. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, one. I just want to ask your thoughts on one story that I thought was going to be enormously, and it kind of fizzled out and disappeared in a day and a half. But um, Donald Trump doxed Barack Obama, like, like posted his address over on Filth Social, and some MAGA dude brings a lot of military hardware to go and perhaps menace the Obama family and is arrested in the neighborhood. Now, now uh, a year ago, somebody went to Brett Kavanaugh's house, stood in the street, called the cops on himself, wasn't armed, and everyone said liberals wanted to see death threats on Brett Kavanaugh because one lunatic stood outside of his house and called the cops on himself. This... This sounds like we we were one hair away from an assassination attempt on a former president. It's a huge story and it's already gone. Yeah, I I, it's 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 just stunning to me that it's one of those every story that comes out is just, oh, that's just Donnie. And, you know, and 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 even I mean, the way that the address was put out there, I mean, I, I. it's one of those things that he could have plausible deniability, but why do you, you know how the address came out? It was this stupid fucking um, repost of an article. He posted right. the full article from uh, what's her name? Um, her, her newsletter. Um, oh, sure. the uh, Phyllis Schlafly's newsletter oh, from 2017. Yes. Okay. And it was like reviewing the first hundred days of the Trump presidency. And it's like, why the fuck are you putting that out? I, there's no rhyme or reason for having that out there other than it had this paragraph that had both Barack Obama and John Podesta's D.C. addresses. That's right. It. And the motherfucker quote posted it or took it and showed that he had seen it. The Taylor Toronto, Toronto, I think his last name was mm-hmm. and or Tyler Toronto and uh, and. And then he shows up there, even leads the police on a little chase. This was nothing like the Kavanaugh thing. The guy had a, was unloaded, right. unloaded a gun. He'd been talked out of it. As you said, he turned himself in. Um, this guy, full on QAnon, um, you know, and going after Podesta, who is the center of all the QAnon bullshit conspiracy theories. It's that's like right. he has he, the guy was looking for tunnels. He was looking for tunnels because that's where you drag the children to scare them to get their blood all adrenochromed up and good for eating. <laughs> Before I let you go, uh, Lee, I just said one last thing. You 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 said 
I want to quote you. You said, frankly, I wouldn't blame Joe Biden one bit if he just said, fuck these animals and gave up being president so that his son might be able to have some peace in his life. The amount of blood demanded by the right for a Democrat winning anything has become unbearable. And I agree with you. And I hope Hunter Biden sues him for everything. Blah, blah, blah. But but isn't the bloodthirsty assault that never ends on Hunter Biden a sign of how scared the modern right is. They can't take on Biden on inflation. They can't take him on on supply chain issues. They can't take him on unemployment. I mean, the guy's beating them on infrastructure. He's beating them on everything. And they're literally going for this like sub Pizzagate Benghazi shit. Yeah. And it it keeps blowing up in their faces. I mean, with the witness that, you know, now has been indicted for being a spy uh, for China. Um, And, you know, it's like it's like how many times do they get to fucking cry wolf? How many fucking times before we are allowed to just for the media is allowed to just say, you know what? We're not fucking believing this anymore. We're not going along with this. We're not going to play this game. And it, it just seems like the next they tee up the next wolf and the media sets its hair on fire, ready to, to, to go again. Root Pundit, what is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with your many nefarious doings? Well, you can find me on every fucking one of those things from Mastodon to Twitter to Blue Sky to Post to, you know, and and threads um, right on <laughs> uh, with at Rude Pundit. Same thing on Instagram. The Rude Pundit on Facebook. The blog is still rudepundit.blogspot.com. And you can also follow me on uh, on Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash Rude Pundit, where there is bonus material, including I'm now doing videos uh, for our, our our mutual friend, Ron. That's and, right. Uh, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah. Well, Lee, thank you so much. While we can't punch Nazis like Indiana Jones, we, we can both still go on Twitter. We it's can. almost the same thing at this point. Thank yeah. you, my friend. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back with your calls and Natalia Reagan at 866-997-4748. This is Progress After Dark. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back. The great Natalia Reagan is waiting in the wings really quick. Maria Atlanta, thank you for waiting on hold. You're on progress. How are you this evening, Counselor? Good evening, John. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm calling in so late in the program. It's I was going to say, yes, thank you for apologizing. I, I don't have to scold you now. <laughs> Come stop it already. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I just wanted to kind of put a little bit of context around the um, Fulton County DA's, uh, Fawny Willis's um, impaneling of the two grand juries today. It's very, um, very exciting, yes. 
Yes. Um, and for those who may not have seen the um, footage of Judge McBurney, uh, who's very even handed, has a has a very good reputation, um, has has been really, you know, driving it straight down the middle of the road here. Um, Judge McBurney uh, was apparently allowed the press to um, broadcast his uh, instructions to the grand jurors, what their what their role is, what their role is not. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not deciding guilt or innocence. They're just deciding is there probable cause, you know, enough to send to a jury for a, for a trial jury to determine guilt or innocence. And it was it was really well done. Um, so, you know. For those who haven't seen it, I, I recommend you, you take the opportunity. Um, oh, brilliant. Second thing, yes. <laughs> there's been much made of the thought that, you know, the fact that there are two grand juries. Um, Fulton County, and for that matter, this, all, all trial courts during the pandemic got way behind. Trial, trials had to be postponed. I'm aware of Good at least point. one trial that was postponed for more than two years. Good so point. they've got to deal with the backlog of cases because there is still a statute of limitations which can expire on some of these cases. Um, and if there's prosecutions that need to be um, handled, they need to move forward on them. So the fact that there are two is not indicative of anything other than there's high volume that has to be dealt with. Um, any one of those two grand juries uh, may have one or more cases, depending upon how many of cases course. regarding the election uh, Fawny Willis has to. But Marie, we should we should. This is going to be a RICO charge, isn't it? Well, um, I think the, the the smart money is on there being a RICO charge. But remember, you've got a couple of things that went on. There's Donald Trump having attempted to influence the election by calling up Brad Raffensperger. Yeah, and then on you've tape. got on tape. Yeah, <laughs> on because tape. you know, goodness knows, you want to do something stupid like that. You want to make sure it's recorded <laughs> at all times. Yes, after you've after you've been impeached for a phone call, yeah. do a phone call where you have quid pro quos and threaten people with illegal stuff. Yes, go on. It was a perfect phone call. It was a beautiful phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing is, um, bear in mind that the fake elector scheme. I'm not entirely sure that she could cleave that off as a separate offense committed here in Georgia. Right. I mean, it, you can say that it's part of the entire scheme, and I confess that I am not the RICO expert that Fawny Willis is, and she mm-hmm. is an expert. Um, but it, it may well be that she could cleave some of that off. Um, bear in mind that the grand jury can be presented an indictment once if they don't return a bill if, if what they do is call a no bill meaning they don't indict right. um well it could be presented to a different grand jury um so that's where the two grand juries at the same time may prove to be helpful right um but once there's a second rejection there's you can't go again marie i, I do have to run but at the end of the day uh, you know the main question i have here is we have to remember we may find a new indictment against donald trump sometime next month and when it comes out, what we have to remember is this is not Fonnie Willis bringing the indictment. This would be a grand jury of Georgia residents, right? Correct. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. They make the Fonnie Willis will not be indicting anybody here. Thank you, Marie. Please call in a lot because I it's it's a lot of technical jargon and we don't even know. We're still waiting to see if, if Jack Smith is going to have an indictment over January 6th as well. So lots of fun to come. Morons are having to hire a lot more attorneys. This is true. <laughs> 
Thank you so All much, right. Marie. Thank you, Have John. a great evening. Thank you. Right now, I'm so pleased to welcome one of our favorite regulars on the show. You guys know the great Natalia Reagan, anthropologist, primatologist, comedian host. You probably fell in love with her like we did as an all-star host for Neil deGrasse Tyson's Star Talk. Every now and then, she joins the show to talk about shit you just can't say. But tonight, I have to ask her about a pop culture story. Natalia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I, I always love the intro. I just see uh, self-esteem boost I needed. Well, I'm very glad. I love your credits, and I love watching you as a dancing McNugget in that commercial. Um, so, so you know, I, I generally make it a habit to stay away from uh, celebrity gossip stories on this show. Once in a while, if something's interesting or relevant or hilarious, we'll go there. But I, I kind of feel like people's private lives, none of my business, et cetera, et cetera. But you brought up, uh, when we were talking earlier, this Jonah Hill thing. And this actually... If, it's incredible how political this is. This gentleman never intended anyone to see his private text messages, but over the weekend, this woman, Sarah Brady, who's a, a, a surfer and a law student and an ex-girlfriend of, of, of Jonah Hill, uh, accused him of emotional abuse and released some private text messages where he gave her his rules to be his girlfriend. Is that a fair way to set this up? Uh, yeah, he used you know therapy terms, boundaries and triggering to try to control and manipulate her friends the way she shows her body he even said that you know she could not have photographs of her in a swimsuit you know uh she is a surfer <laughs> you know and this is something that we see i think a lot of women are, are uh relating to this story because this is not a uh, uncommon thing where men in the past have tried to control using you know various tactics but just it which the grossest part of the story is the fact that he's using you know Terms like boundaries. Uh, this is about manipulation and control, not so much boundaries. And so it was, I, I'm, I'm a pretty private person. I'm not big on airing out my own personal dirty laundry, although I have been open about some of my abusive relationships in the past because I think that it allows people feel like they're not alone and also recognize their own unhealthy relationships that they might feel stuck in. And I'm really hoping and I'm, I'm commending his ex for sharing this because I think it will allow women or anybody, honestly, it doesn't necessarily just be women. I mean, you know, men, non-binary, anybody can be the victim of this kind of abuse. And so it, it allows people to look, see, recognize, and then hopefully deal with and not feel so alone with, you know, combating emotional abuse. Um, it is ironic. And I didn't know about this. It was funny. I was talking to my own therapist about it because I, I told mm -hmm. her, I said, when I read the text messages, I I, I don't generally use the word triggered, but I definitely felt like, holy crap, I've been there. I have been given these types of rules. And it's usually, you know, again, what attracted him to her was the fact that she's this gorgeous, vibrant 25-year-old surfer, you know, law student, clearly very intelligent. Uh, and then he got her and then he's trying to sort of dull her shine. He's trying to control her, uh, tell her who she can be friends with, what she can and cannot show and do. You know, and this is something I think a lot of women can relate to. I think uh, people are really surprised because it's this particular artist. And I, uh, this is someone, Jonah Hill, who just directed and starred in this documentary on Netflix called yep. Stutz about his therapist. And I would argue that uh, along with Howard Stern, has probably done more to turn on white dude bros to therapy than just about any other entertainer I can think of. Um, and he's been held up for, for a long time as a figure who uh, counters traditional ideas of masculinity. So I think that's why it was kind of depressing for a lot of people to actually see 
these texts that, again, were never meant to be shown. But he says if if you need surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men, if you need to model, if you need to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, friendships with women who are in unstable places, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not the right partner for you. I mean, on the one hand, we all have boundaries in our relationship. But the conventional wisdom on this is that it just kind of seemed really petty and controlling. Yeah, yeah. And, and she even shared it, it made me kind of giggle when I first, you know, I mean, giggle out of my own nervous laughter because I could relate was he liked a hot picture of her of her surfing because you could see her butt and he liked it. And he's like, when am I going to see you? So clearly what drew him to her was her online presence. And then he That's got it. her and then he wants to just turn her into something that you know suits him. He does not want other people to want her. And that's the thing I've, I've dealt with in many of my relationships. And I, I know many other women who have, who are, you know, again, living these sort of, you know, vibrant, fun lives. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, that's just for me. And that's what makes it political. Yes, that that that's what makes it a universal story. And I'm not saying this is who Jonah Hill is. I don't know the guy's whole deal. (laughs) We're only getting one side of one aspect of their breakup and all that. But what's always made me insane is these men who worship women's sexuality, fetishize women's sexuality, put it up on a pedestal. And then as soon as they can, they have to own it. They have to control it. They have to clip a woman's wings. So the wildness, the freedom that drew them in in the first place is suddenly a commodity they can own in their pocket. To me, it's always a sign of a very weak man. Yep. Yeah, they can't have, you know, they don't want that unbridled silly they got to you know, break that horse down and, and make them theirs. I don't, I don't know what about yeah. the horse. And by the way, Natalia, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't want you talking about this on other radio shows, please. You can talk about it on this show. But if I see you, if I see you talking about <laughs> Jonah Hill on other shows, I'm going to consider that a breach of our trust. What are you going to do? I don't, I, no, you can listen. Hey, <laughs> you can go talk about Jonah Hill on any show you want. But if you do, I'm going to know you're not someone I can trust as my guest on this show. Okay, oh Natalia, God. do what you want. You have total freedom. You have total freedom. Just letting you know what you're gambling with here. And also, <laughs> if, I could, if, if I could just say, I don't want you to be on radio shows with men. Oh, and I don't want you to hang out with other radio guests who are females who, in your don't wild life, your wild yeah. days... Exactly. Also, when you're on a, when, when you're on a radio show, Natalia, I don't want you wearing a swimsuit. On our show, you should always wear a swimsuit for the Zoom. Top-less. And if you're in studio Only with top-less. us, not, not <laughs> listen. Hey, I'm a fem- I'm an ally. All right. I'm just saying, if you're on our show, you no. wear a swimming suit. Other people's yeah. shows, I'd like something modest, if possible, a mock turtleneck, maybe. Well, my kink is I demand that we all wear a 1910 swimsuit where it's just like a full olive oil, top to bottom, heavy cotton, maybe wool thing and uh, stripes probably. Yeah, burlap. Yeah. Yeah. You want an extra itchy. I, I don't mind that. Yeah. That's, you know, hey, whatever. I'm not here to kink shame. I'm not going to yuck your yum. But yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> am asking her down or asking to take down pictures also hit home. Like I've asking you know, a woman to just, take the asking a woman to take down pictures from her social media because you, the guy that just walked into her life, don't like that. That's a red flag to me. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. And, and but, but again, using that therapy terminology, these are my boundaries. It is triggering for me, you know, again. And, and, and the way she talked, her responses also kind of, you know, made me it took my breath away because I was like, I have been there where you're trying to rationalize with somebody who's being absolutely irrational. And, you know, you can tell she's just sort of walking on those eggshells. And, you know, again, I'm glad we're talking about this. I, you know, again, I'm not about generally airing out dirty laundry, but 
dear God, if this gets women, you know, banding together, and as somebody who studies non-human primates, I just interviewed Dr. Amy Parrish, who studied bonobos, and bonobos are really interesting. John, you know yes. this. Oh yes, what are bonobos my famous for? They're they're big. They're they're they basically handle all tension and conflict through sexual uh, activity. And that's why they're generally loved and adored. And everybody <laughs> wants to be like bonobos. Everybody is just like, yes. I want to be in this big court like a bonobo. However, you I should know. know. For me, it's always dance offs. All my all my conflicts have to be settled by dance offs. The bonobos have such a nicer way this of doing it. This is why it. I always lose to you, John, because you, your boogie is just it's too big for me. I can't handle. It's true. Um, I know. Can't handle your, your shimmy I, shape. No, I understand. Uh, You're not the first. You're not the first. No, you have an ass that just, you know, won't quit when it, even when I politely ask it to. Um, yeah. But yeah, so. Um, Oh, where where was I going? I don't know. You where was I going? Me, oh, bonobos. Was... Back to bonobos. Back to bonobos. bonobos. Yes, Jonah bonobos. Hill bonobo. It's Jonah, Jonah I, Hill I got bonobos. lost in, in your booty shake that I lost my bonobo train of thought. But yeah, bonobos, okay. uh, not only are they they're highly sexual, they are female dominant. They, they have a matriarchy. And in fact, you know, the way Amy Parrish uh, discovered, I'm, I'm sure other scientists had seen it in the past, uh, however, they were male scientists that explained this away. She was noticing a lot of male bonobos had these injuries on their body, like blood drawn injuries, but there had been no males fighting each other. And she's like, where are they getting these injuries? And they were across various zoos that had bonobos. And she found that they were only in enclosures with one or more females. And she oh, was God. realizing that the females were doing this and not that we're advocating women beat up dudes, but they definitely keep the males in line and the yeah. women, the females and bonobos run the show. That's and right. so it's one of those and things. There's right, no war. Women run everything. A lot of sex. No war. I'm just OK. Look, I'm not going to tell you that, if, you know, if we all be act like bonobos uh, and let women run the show, we are going to have a big promiscuous ward. But there's only one way to find out, John. So I think we need to forget our emails, stop with the mansplaining, and just elect a woman for president. I, but, listen, uh, I'm, I'm ready for the women to take over at all departments. I've been waiting a very long time. Um, apropos of nothing, but we just got this news that um, a former child star, uh, Alexa Nicholas, yep. who was a Nickelodeon teen, uh, has now just accused Mr. Jonah Hill of assaulting her when she was 16 years old and he was 24. Uh, and he said he shoved his tongue down her throat uh, at a house party in L.A., she said to page six. So uh, yeah. this is this is not, uh, you know, the story. He tweeted it out actually around. earlier this morning, which, you know, and it was uh, it was it sounded like, you know, one of the parties because, you know, this must have been in the mid early aughts, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. at the time and she was 17 or 16 i, I read some of her tweets and yes. yeah i mean it's it, and again this is something that as a young like i'm not young anymore but as a young woman i dealt with so much of this crap you know being either right about 18 or a little bit under 18 and these 25 26 year old dudes angling for a young one and you know doing whatever they could and thinking that yeah and especially somebody who's famous thinking that they're above the law because you know he wasn't super bad, so he gets to behave super bad. Yeah. You know, that's not how that works. Like, you know, there are consequences. And unfortunately, she probably at the time, I, I can't speak necessarily for her, but I can imagine she probably was shocked. You know, and what do you yeah. what do you do? You speak out. And and this is what I talk about a lot when it comes to um, I once <laughs> had a, a small shouting match with a comedian who said if women spoke out, this would just go away. And I had to stop and I said, no, women do speak out. And this is right after Christine Blasey Ford came out against Kavanaugh. And I'm like, she got death threats. She had to move. Women get acid thrown in her face. They get raped, harassed, That's right. you know, sexually assaulted. They get fired, blacklisted. 
Um, and, you know, somebody that works in the industry, if you speak out against the wrong person, you might not ever, ever work again, all a Weinstein, right? right. So you know, Jonah Hill's not Weinstein, but I mean, he sure, if this is true, you know, it's, I hope there's not more stories, but, you know, it he's is a still scary. a long way. He's, he's still a long way from, from Weinsteinism, yes. but it is, yeah. I, I got to say, it is sad because I did watch his movie about his therapist and I actually thought it was one of the better films about what therapy is. That's this kind of movie that... Yeah. You think, okay, it's the guy from Superbad, and maybe people will watch it who normally would never consider therapy, and they'll realize what the benefits of having a good therapist are. Yeah. So, And that's yeah. the thing. So that I, I mentioned it to my therapist yesterday because, like I said, it really rocked me reading that. I, I didn't think I, it would. Um, but she said, oh, he's the guy that had the movie about the therapist, and I didn't even know at that point. And so I looked oh, it up, wow. and I was like, only I watched the, the trailer, and it looked good, and... But what was interesting about the trailer, and I haven't seen it, is it sounds like his therapist, because his therapist in the trailer was saying that like a lot of therapists say that the that the client, the patient needs to come to their own conclusions. But it sounds like he was a little bit he inserts himself a little bit more in the decision making, which also now we now knowing what we know about how he has interacted with past women, it, it, that worries me a little bit. But also, I don't want to infer too much. I want to thank you for never releasing any of the many predatory DMs I sent you over the years, because there have been a lot of those, and I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, none of them were consensual, and I, I apologize for all of them, and I thank you for not putting them all over page six. Like, who man. <laughs> it's, never oh been harder for, it's never been harder for a man to be a predator, has it? Right. Oh, God. Well, the thing is, it's really so easy to not be gross. It really isn't that hard. So when I, when, when Weinstein first got busted and it was all the whole me too was happening another comedian actually said to me i would say you look gorgeous uh, when we first saw each other i'd say you look gorgeous but i don't want to get me too and i was like well you just said it and also that's not what this is about no. you know what i mean this is not about like you can't compliment somebody this is about like don't be a predator don't exactly don't, you know say yeah, just don't say you're gorgeous while you're cornering her in the back of the green room miss exactly. reagan where are you holding your your bare penis while telling me you're gorgeous now we gotta hit a break good. we'll be right yes. back in two this is progress okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. I am so thrilled to welcome our next guest. George Schlatter changed the face of television. That sounds like a cliche, but this man 
really did it when he created and produced a landmark sketch comedy series called Laugh-In that was as much about America and where America's culture was at the time as it was about comedy. He created and produced real people. He produced the first five years of the Grammy Awards. He's worked with everyone, created and produced the American Comedy Awards. The first time Stephanie Miller told me that George Schlatter was coming to one of our shows, I could not believe it. And now the great man has published a memoir, Still Laughing, A Life in comedy that features never-before-told stories about some of the greatest entertainers in history, amazing television production stories, and then everyone from mob figures like Mickey Cohen to Judy Garland and Sammy Davis Jr. stories. It's just incredible. What a great thrill to welcome a man who changed comedy for the better, George Schlatter, to SiriusXM. Sounds like I'm 2,000 years old. Does it? Does nice it really? It's good to see you. No, well, I, I, I'm... When you have a career with this many stories, I kind of feel like you're cheating fans of comedy if you don't put them all out in a book. True. Well, it was a fun it was a fun book to do. And I sat down and told all of these stories. And there's a ton of them, you know, because as you pointed out, I must be 2000 years old. But then we put them all reduced them down to what's in the book. Took out a lot of the stuff. The more you tell them, the more you remember. Right. True. We took out a lot of the stuff that we don't want in the book, so it's a pretty clean uh, look back at my long and suspicious career. I was hoping for a lot of dirty Milton Berle stories, so I'm a little crestfallen by that. But I, I have to I say, have what fun. I what I love about the book is that it really puts laugh in not just as a, a comedy achievement, but it really puts it as a cultural achievement by examining where America was. And what you were trying to do, you were essentially taking the best parts, the most warm and lovely parts of of hippie culture and making it accessible for mainstream America. I don't think people today watching the show would realize how revolutionary culturally that format was. It it was. It was a trip. And we didn't always focus on the best parts. We had some some of the worst parts, too. But it was an overview. It was a free association test of uh, the culture and of the people in it, and of the fun we had struggling our way through the 60s. What was sketch comedy like at the time you went and, in 1967, pitched NBC this this idea of a, a I know it was a special at first, but a, a comedy series inspired by hippie counterculture? What was the rest of sketch comedy like at the time? Well, I had done a lot of shows like with Milton Berle and Danny Thomas and Bob Hope, and they were longer pieces. They were long things. And so my own attention span was kind of minimal. And NBC had nothing to put on the air Monday night at 8 o'clock. They were getting killed. They had Lucy and Gunsmoke. So they had no rating at all. So they, uh, they, they said, you know, do I have any ideas? I said, yeah. So I went to them with this idea to do a sketch comedy show with a brief staccato kind of rhythm shots. And uh, they were very nervous about it at first, but they had nothing to put on the air. So the first show, the first show was a real struggle. They didn't even want to air it. They said, this doesn't make sense. We ran it for some kids. I said, we just ran this show for a bunch of children and they understood it and they're brighter than you are. So (laughs) they reluctantly, they reluctantly put that first show on the air and then they were surprised. They put two more on. They were looking for something else really to put on in that time period. And they were surprised at the reaction to it. The the reaction to it after the third show was just awesome. And because, the public wanted something. They wanted to feel and hear and see something different. They wanted 
something that reflected the new minimal attention span, reflected it or created it. And uh, so they were surprised and uh, reluctantly, reluctantly went ahead with it. I'm curious, did you know going into this any specific writers or performers that you knew you wanted for this yeah. show? Who did you want before were, you even pitched were, it? They were writers and they were young character people, young, attractive character people that didn't really have a place until they weren't sitcom people and they weren't older, established Milton Berle kind of people. These were a group of people who I'd seen and uh, uh, we put them all into that. Nobody really auditioned. And uh, then there was a writer in London by the name of Digby Wolf, who is kind of a, a British uh, <laughs> iconoclast, right? So he came out and we assembled a group of writers who were not sitcom and were not variety writers. They were just funny, funny idea people. We put all of those people into this conglomerate, this collection of anarchists and uh, and then coupled that with a woman by the name of Carolyn Raskin who developed a lot of the new editing techniques using computers and so on. So when we went on the air, uh, the network looked at it and said, what is this? This isn't a television show. I said, yeah, it's a new tele- television show. They really were, were reluctant to put the show on the air because it was indeed a bit revolutionary, but it was funny. I mean, a lot of the book recounts how you sort of had to hold the hands of these uh, low-wattage executives who didn't really understand what they were getting into. Hold the hands is an interesting uh, phrase. I think we, we probably grabbed a hold of more, <laughs> more than their hands. They really went, sat and looked at it, and they said, what the hell is this? I said, well, you laughed. And they said, yeah, but nobody will understand it. I said, well, you laughed, and, and, and the audience is brighter than you are. It was a confrontational kind of a period when, they looked at this thing and they were in awe. They didn't understand it. They, I mean, here was Goldie Hawn, you know, and, with, and uh, uh, Lily Tomlin doing characters they didn't understand. All of those people, and Artie Johnson dressed as a German. And nobody had seen Artie Johnson when he came out to Bobo. And he said, Mr. Hope, he was German, he was a Nazi, right? He said, Mr. Hope, every Christmas we waited for you. And, and Hope looked at Artie Johnson like they were from Mars. But that relationship, that surprise, that offbeat, off balance, kind of uh, uh, staccato uh, attention span uh, captured the imagination of the country. And it worked. I had a, we had a good, we really had a great time. I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine a sketch comedy show being the number one show in America today. But Laugh-In was able to do it, I always thought, because it appealed to hipsters and young people and appealed to straight folks and Midwesterners and, and families and seniors alike. It was a show that was edgy and wholesome at the same time. Part of the reaction for that broad audience that you just mentioned was the fact that there was nothing really new on television. The Milton Berle show, the Danny Thomas show, they were great. They were monologists. They'd stand up and talk forever. And then we came on with this barrage of uh, young, attractive, irreverent, uh, talented people and uh, put them together into this tight, rapid staccato uh, form, and uh, which kind of reflected my own minimal attention span and my own outrageous approach to what was going on. You understand when we put laughing on the air, the world was all torn apart, and and to be doing jokes about uh, Vietnam and about uh, the and we actually we did all these cameo stars. We would get them in the hallway. Like with John Wayne, I said, Mr. Wayne went, I'm not going to do that show. I don't know what those people are doing. We put that on the air. <laughs> and 
people would tell us no, we would put that on the air. And the idea of putting somebody rejecting you as part of a show that was accepting you, that was just so unusual and so bizarre that uh, the audience looked at it and said, wait a minute, this is something different. And I, we, had, we had a lot of fun. I always felt that David Letterman's NBC show would not have had that element of weirdness and creativity if Laugh-In hadn't done it first and kept it so consistently funny. But since you mentioned the John Wayne story, uh, whose idea was it to even try to book Richard Nixon on the show? Well, Paul Keyes was Richard Nixon's closest friend, and Paul was one of the writers. And I said, we needed to do something on the first show the next season to kick it off. And Paul says, well, maybe I can get Nixon for you. And I said, well, get him for me, too. And, and, and uh, <laughs> so we went over. So Paul called him up, and we went over. He was taping a news conference, and we got to Mr. Nixon said, just say, sock it to me. All right, sock it to me. No, no Mr. Nixon, you got to smile and be surprised. Yeah, comedy things, new to me. Uh, sock it to me. Yeah. Anyhow, we got five <laughs> takes of him saying, sock it to me. And we ran back to NBC and put it in the next show. And all of a sudden, here popped up this presidential personality saying sock it to me and the world stopped i mean everybody my oh, god that's richard nixon and uh uh the next day everybody was talking about the show and uh he 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 always said that it helped him to get elected yeah and uh i i've had to live with that i was not a big <laughs> nixon i was not I a big nixon. he was certainly he's a man with absolutely no humor at all uh but he did enjoy doing it. Sock it to me. He took great credit for it. And, I, uh, I, and it worked. It was such I, a surprise to have somebody like John Wayne and Richard Nixon on the same show. And then, uh, you know, uh, all of those offbeat, unusual people, you know, Mae West. Uh, we yeah. have Mae West, you know, it's, and uh, I mean, you could not. Mae West was a very, very older ex sex symbol, you know. Yeah. And. So we put her on the show, and she said, uh, young man, I'm warning you, don't fall for me. And she, cause, as she said, because if you could catch it, you could never ride it. Well, you put that on the air with a 68, 70-year-old <laughs> woman, and they all went, Mae West is talking. And uh, it was fun. It was, it was a romp. And at that point, because the show cost nothing, and nobody knew what it was, and they had nothing else to put on, so while they were getting a real show ready to go on the air, here came this explosion of young, talented, gorgeous. I mean, Goldie Hawn giggly was just terrific. And uh, uh, and and Lily Tomlin and those people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just so in this rapid staccato approach to comedy, uh, it, it exploded. It worked. And it would still work today. It would work. You know, it wouldn't work if you had been the kind of person who was a fan of Richard Nixon. If you were a fan of John Wayne's politics, you probably would never have been able to do a funny kind of show. But because your politics were the way they were, I mean, you learned, you you talk about in this book how you learned to deal with Sinatra's temper by making him laugh. And in a way, when America was at each other's throats, you made all of America laugh together on one TV show. It's why I still feel like this is such a remarkable social achievement you pulled off. You realize how long ago that was, right? Yeah, I and, do. Uh, and Sinatra, uh, Sinatra was an icon. He was, but he was this volatile, energetic, high energy kind of explosive, dynamic personality. And the fact that I made him laugh, uh, they'd never seen him like that before. So, and John Wayne, John Wayne uh, was really a stiff. Eventually, by the way, he not only did the show. 
but he got such a reaction to it. One of the shows, he appeared in a big bunny suit. <laughs> I well, I don't, I don't know that anybody would ask anybody to do that today. But you understand, this was how many years? 50 years ago? Yeah. I was uh, much younger and uh, uh, I had a brief attention span. And uh, politically, I was uh, a bit of an activist. And uh, all of the accident, you've got to understand, when you talk about Lavin, you have to consider the element of accident. Never could happen without NBC having a disaster time period, without me having collected this uh, awesome group of Lily and Goldie and Ruth Buzzy and Joanne Worley. And I, yeah. Those were all young character people that didn't have a place in television. Well, they found a place. <laughs> But it's also, you know, the the smartness of your politics made the show uh, very intelligent in a way that really holds up. I loved reading about how you guys just use the humor constantly to get around all the censorship of the 1960s. Because I think a lot of young people today would be shocked to know how much censorship and how much more uptight TV was in the 1960s. Yes, they were. And we had we we I, they, we've laughed about it. We we put maybe six censors in the home. While the censors were meeting on one side of the studio explaining what we couldn't do, we were on the other side of the studio doing it. And uh, when they came back and looked at it, they said, this is terrible. We can't put this on the air. And I said, well, why don't you put on what you had before? They said, well, we didn't have anything. I said, good. We'll do this. So I was much younger and more outrageous. And you must understand, it, through, the, through all of that turmoil, all of that problem, all of those meetings and all that confrontation, we were laughing. We laughed like a Dan and Dick had a good time, and they laughed. And Artie Johnson, you can imagine Artie, Ruth Buzzy coming out and doing all those characters, and Lily, and of course Goldie was gold, Joanne. Those were all young character people that, because there was no place on television for that kind of performer, they were all available, and uh, we put them on the air. We would tape, we'd tape and tape and tape until like sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, then we would... Edit that, edit that. Carolyn Raskin would edit all of that down into these brief staccato uh, explosions, yeah. put that all together into into what looked like a television show. And it got a huge rating. I mean, we got a 50 share. Today you get four or five, you know, 50 share was unheard of. Man, it would be a miracle today. Boy, did we had a, the main thing about laughing, we had a good time. And uh, so did the audience. George, do you remember the first time you ever saw Lily perform? Yeah. I Where saw a tape of Lily, and she was doing a character that was a rubber freak. It was a, a woman who ate rubber, and <laughs> I just blew me away. And uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, here she was, she finally went to the psychiatrist, and he cured her, and she threw herself at his feet to thank him and ate his galoshes. And I, this is unbelievable, but I couldn't find her. Then I saw her doing a barefoot tap dance. Barefoot, imagine how an attractive woman doing tap dance in her bare feet, and it was great. And so, so I called her up and I wanted her, I said, Come on over. She was not sure that our political content met her, met her standards. Mm. <laughs> and she came in and she did in front of me, she became like eight different people, you know, Ernestine and the little girl and all that. And I said, I want you to do the show. She said, Well, which character? I said, All of them. What? So the thing about laughing was that it allowed Lily to do the Ernestine and then to do the child and then to do Mrs. Earboard, the censor. So she did all of those characters in one show because we taped it in bits and pieces. We would do 
We would tape till two o'clock in the morning. She kept changing costumes. And then when she did Ernestine, the first call, she called somebody and she said, uh, um, I think it was the Mr. William F. Buckley. And the network was always concerned about F. Buckley, right? Because we'd also talked about, look that up in your Falcon Wagner. And uh, they always said, why is that? And I said, I just we're a fixation. Look that up in your Punk and wagon. And so Lily came on and did uh, that, that phone operator. And, uh, you know, one ringy dingy, two ringy dingy. Well, nobody realized right before she taped it, I said, Lily, Lily, hold it, hold it. When you dial the phone, dial with this finger. She, what? So she never did the, that. The middle, she the, middle, the middle finger. Middle finger, right. The finger bothered them a lot. I said, the woman has a problem with her. Anyway, <laughs> she did that. She, she, I think she called, is this William for Buckley? And uh, um, <laughs> she, the next day, she's walking down the hall, and people are saying, one ringy-dingy, two ringy-dingies. And Lily, the wonderful thing about laughing was because of the way we taped, Lily could do five, six, seven characters, and so could Ruth Buzzy and Joanne and Artie. And everything. But uh, Lily could do all of those characters all in one show uh, because of the way we taped. And uh, I'm not too sure that you could do that today. I mean, there's, there's, there's more supervision. And we had one person that bought the show and uh, they would always go up to his office and then complain. Herb Slosser or Fred Silverman, they'd always go up to his office and complain and he'd say, I, I'll, I'll talk to him. And so he'd say, George, we had another complaint from the censors. I said, what do you want to do? He said, do just what you're doing. And so we did. And uh, it sounds like it's crazy. It sounds like it was all, there was no logic to it. The logic to it was that there was no logic in it. I mean, throughout the whole book, it's just bridging different generations of Hollywood. You know, your stories about Lucille Ball right alongside your stories about working with Lily. And I had forgotten this, George, but you produced the first ever all black variety show with Red Fox and Pearl Bailey. I remember my parents watching that. And there's no way to overstress how revolutionary that was at the time for a major network. Well, it was. And then the network, uh, they, strangely enough, that show was the first all-black show, black director. We brought Mark Warren down from London, from, from uh, Canada. And uh, we had a black director. We had black music. The only white person on the show was a white drummer, which I thought was interesting <laughs> to have a white drummer on a black show. And uh, we delivered the show, and we, uh, we ran it for an all-black audience, and they just loved it. And uh, the network had an option on it to do it as a series. And they called me and said, they can't do it as a series. They said, because the reaction of that first show, which was called Soul, was mm. so intense, they said they could never cancel it. So well, that's a strange reason not to buy a show. <laughs> and uh, so when they said they weren't going to do it because they couldn't cancel it, I took it to Damon Wayans and mm. Don Rio. Who did, strangely enough, the Wayans Brothers, which is the most famous black show, was produced, written, and directed by a white producer, Don Rio. So yeah, I took the show to him and I said, here, do this. And that became the Wayan Brothers. And it just there was an audience waiting. There was a black audience was not being served other than Sammy Davis and the other people that we had. So we they the Wayan Brothers took the show and did it. And I'm proud to have had to have had anything to do with the success of that show. George, there's so much great comedy in your in, in the book. There's so much so much so many great moments of laughter. But I, I have to say what I think will impress people the most is um uh, your story about when you were delivering a eulogy for your friend Frank Sinatra. I did not expect well, the book to become so heartfelt and, and moving. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm serious 
I seldom have one of those serious moments, you know, but uh, my relationship with Frank went to my first meeting with him when I was there. I was the only guy in the, in the whole MCA that didn't have on a black suit. And Frank Sinatra walked in to sign his new contract, which many was going to, they were going to represent him, but they, he didn't have to pay commission because they made so much money representing Sinatra. Anyhow, he came in with his contract and I was standing there, the only guy in the room without a black suit on. And uh, he signed a contract. And he looked at me and he said, I have ties older than this guy. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, we laughed at it. Now, from, from then, that first meeting up until the eulogy, we had laughed periodically. We would get together and we would laugh over, because Frank was, was a susceptible to, to any kind of irreverent humor. Mm-hmm. Everybody was afraid of it, but uh, if you did it right, and uh, I could make him laugh. And uh, I did with great frequency and we would stay up all night and, consume large amounts of Jack Daniels. And uh, finally, then at his funeral, Barbara Sinatra came to me and said, would I do a eulogy? And I said, Barbara, that's not what I do. She said, please, for Frank. So I said, okay, as long as I don't have to follow Gregory Peck or the bishop. She said, of course not. (laughs) Sure enough, there they were, Gregory Peck followed by the bishop. And I didn't know what to say. So when the bishop said, here's George Slaughter, I looked at him and I said, thank you, Your Honor. Well, you don't call a bishop, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I explained it. I talked a lot more judges than I'd talk to bishops. And uh, the bishop and I occasionally still communicated after that, calling him your honor, put him away too. It was great to have. It was Frank Sinatra was an adventure. Frank Sinatra walked in, the whole world stopped. And uh, when he walked out on stage, he was magic. And what people really didn't realize, he was a joke junkie. He loved to laugh. And if you could make him laugh, you could break that coil that kind of surrounded him, you know? And uh, I cherish the times we had with Sinatra. Honestly, George, this book is a gift, and I recommend it as a gift to anybody because it's a great book about entertainment. It's a great book about comedy. It doesn't make too much time. All it is, it's very unusual. They, They looked at this book and they said, this is not a regular book. It's not a biography, no. It was a collection of accidents and incidents that surrounded my long and shabby career. <laughs> Question, <laughs> questionable relationships. I mean, there's. we touched briefly on some of my early days in Vegas and, uh, uh, and at Ciro's when I was, I was a greeter at Ciro's and it appeared that I had been a bouncer. And Jolene <laughs> said, oh, I don't want to read about So I released the story that I had been an executive in charge of emergency departures. And she said, still sounds like a bouncer. I said, hey, what are you going to do? But the whole <laughs> career coupled in that book, and, and we just started dictating stories one after another. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't blend from one to another. I disagree. I said, oh. It does. It all, it, all, it all blends together. I mean, it, literally, the title of the book is Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy. It blends together perfectly. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, because I Absolutely. thought it was going to have to go door to the door, you know? <laughs> George, I've wanted to get you on this show for years. It is such a great honor. I recommend this book as a gift. Again, it's Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy by the great George Schlatter. What's next for you, sir? What's what's ne- for an up-and-comer like you? What do you got planned? Hopefully you'll invite me back. <laughs> if you're still speaking to me, I would love to have you. I didn't say anything that got you in trouble, you know? Not yet, no. no. What I hope to do, we're doing a thing now where uh, they have this community in Jamestown that's entirely built around comedy. And they called me yeah. and asked me, I send them something from laughing. And I said, sure. She said, the woman, wonderful lady, James, uh, and uh, Journey, Gunderson's mm-hmm. name. Did I have anything else? 
And I said, Johnny, I've got a warehouse full of L's. I have comedy awards, comedy honors, just for less. And so I started sending her this stuff. And eventually, I, we sent them so much stuff. And then I also made them a donation that they built this theater and they call it the George Slaughter, Jolene Brand Slaughter Collection. And uh, they're having this big celebration. Um, and we're going to go and uh, celebrate comedy. It's an entire community, 30 acres or something, all yeah. built of the collection of all of the comics. The You're going to love it. Videos. It is a funny place to everybody who wants to laugh should go and spend a day at the uh, museum there and they'll have a ball. And so that's what the next thing I'm doing is right getting on. that off the ground. And you'll you'll be happy to know, George, we prepared really great weather for you here in New York for that visit to Jamestown. It's oh, delightful I heard about right now. Weather. It's delightful. I, don't, I, don't I mean, you can't if you have to wear a, a swim <laughs> a swimsuit just to go to the entrance. I mean, it's raining and it's hot and it's muggy. Sounds yeah. wonderful. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Great, great atmosphere for comedy, right? <laughs> yes. Man, this is uh, fun talking to you. George Slaughter, it's a real pleasure. Please come back and see us again. I would I want I want to have you back again to get more great stories from the book. Again, the book is Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy by the great George Slaughter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I, it was fun. 